0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Trends podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I am Benjamin Moses, the director of technology, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarga, technology analyst. Steve, how are you doing today? Doing great. Did you know the Olympics are going on right now? I completely slept on
1: that. So I've seen things on the internet?
0: I've seen things on the
1: internet, too. And, like, (laughs) like things blatantly telling me that the Olympics are going on, but I feel like I didn't know.
0: Yeah, and uh, it threw me for a loop, because I do, like, get... Uh, get investing into the Olympics as much as I can as a viewer. Um, but I cut a lot of my like broadcast services. So I don't have like um, Verizon or television service or a Comcast television service. Right, right. Everything I watch is through an app or on demand. Yeah. So I was scratching my head. How am I going to watch this? And the one app that I pulled in uh, had to require a television broadcast subscription. i was like, I'm done with this one. But I realized <laughs> NBC has a Peacock app, which you can do on demand stuff, which okay. is fine. And then they have all the Olympic stuff. But it threw me for a loop on how to effectively watch that where I can't just turn on a TV and just see whatever they're showing me. I have to go through and browse through all the different sections. And, right. of course, everything I want to watch isn't like lumped into other sports. So they have like track and field. They've got volleyball. They have the big pillar stuff. Yes.
1: Oh, yeah. We follow the other. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I wanted to watch Skeet and Trap. I was like, how do I find Skeet and Trap? So I had to go through and I was scrolling and scrolling for like 10 days. And I finally got to like the gold medal round for the uh, uh, Skeet and Trap, which okay. – USA crushed it, by the way.
1: Oh, America's going to do what America does. <laughs> we do well at shooting. <laughs> we shoot. Um, well, at least okay, I, I hear at this year it's not about basketball. At least we're not shooting there.
0: Yeah. No, no, the uh, US lost to France in open pool, so they're still not not okay. out of the tournament it's yet. It's still but, okay. Uh, it was an interesting. Uh,
1: then that was that was mishyped because I saw yeah. that headline. I also saw the headline saying that like this is the. The, like the on record is the least watched Olympics. That's and unfortunate. I'm, and and it's blatantly like thrown thrown in my face <laughs> that it's like going on right now. And I'm like, oh, I wonder when that's taking place. <laughs> like, I'm, just, I'm just that checked out of like the Olympics. Also, yeah. I feel like a child because I also I, I don't have cable either. Yeah. And when I do want to watch something on cable, I just use my mom's Verizon account. <laughs>
0: Nothing wrong with that. that. That goes around a lot these days. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that it's the least watching. You, know, you know, we're talking about some of the upsets. Like there's pillars of or countries that have standing been like they're expected to get gold. Right, 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 And, right. you know, it's there's a lot of turnover, like the U.S. losing to France. Right? I mean, in the, in the past couple of years, since the Dream Team, there's been a, yeah. a growth in international play. Their international community is significantly better and they're more competitive. But. A loss is
1: still a loss and there's and, other and apparently the women's soccer team we U.S. women's to, yeah. soccer team yeah. took a loss yep. now was that for the gold or was that just a, a, a tryout
0: game uh, i'm not sure if that was pool play or if that was in um playoffs i'm not sure um yeah. worst case scenario is not good
1: <laughs> yeah either way yeah. it's like you know they crush it they're awesome yeah. um i did also see that who what else was another major upset oh uh, ping pong oh man what happened china didn't win oh man china That's like, like china is to ping pong as we are like shooting and <laughs> and china like decimates at ping pong and apparently i saw it was like on vice so i mean take that with a grain of salt i'm probably reading tabloids at this point but vice said had some headline on the lines of um uh china medals silver in ping pong and the medalist is crying and apologizing on tv and i'm i i I just read this and i'm thinking this person's going to be assassinated (laughs) they won't exist on this planet anymore (laughs) (laughs) it is it is
0: interesting because i was watching some uh swimming uh event and you see the excitement of the gold winner yeah is you know they're out out of this world which right so they're, they're the number one in the world you can't say that of many other things of, you know, right. uh, you know, things that you've achieved. And then you look at the silver medalist. They're like, eh. I'm
1: like, you got silver in the Olympics. Shouldn't you be excited? Like it's not a participation trophy. That's, so, that's a good accomplishment. There's so few people
0: that are happy to win silver or bronze. I'm like, that's a tough life. I, so the discipline and rigor to get to become an Olympic athlete is out of my mind. Yeah. But uh, I feel bad that they're not celebrating silver or bronze.
1: Yeah, it's 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 pretty bad. Like my my cousin. Well, actually, I, I got two relatives. Um, my aunt Denise. Uh, I think she her last uh hurrah, and she used to be a a competition uh skeet and trap shooter. Oh, cool. And her last tour. Um, I, I don't know if that's what you call it, but her last time in competition, mm-hmm. like her last season was Kim Rode's first and oh, she man. shot alongside Kim Rode. That's cool. That's really cool. I'm like, oh my God, Denise, <laughs> you know like you knew Kim Rode? I felt terrible like getting that excited because like I know how awesome <laughs> yeah. my my Aunt Denise is. Yeah. But uh, also my my cousin Megan um was going to go to one of the uh, uh Olympics uh because she was on the Olympic skull team mm. which I don't know if that's actually what you call it, but but she was on the rowing team the yep. we, u.s women's yep. rowing team and uh she's actually i, I don't want to like throw shade at her no yeah no, i'm just gonna stop there she was on the rowing team though yep. um but uh yeah it's like that still means like that these people were like the best of the best yeah. just to be on the team yeah absolutely
0: they're that good but um my wife was making fun of me that uh in two rotations for the olympics they'll be in la they're going uh-huh. somewhere next time, and then uh, after that, they're going to L.A. It's like oh, my 50th birthday. We'll go to L.A. that <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> will be dead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's just it's just crazy. Like that, you know, this this the this Chinese athlete brought much shame upon the family <laughs> for getting a silver <laughs> and for getting a silver. Yeah. When that's awesome. And here in the U.S., like you know, Kim Rode has collectively brought home so many. I think she's brought home so many more golds than even Michael Phelps has, <laughs> and yet. You'd never hear about about that in the news. Yeah. You know, yeah, poor poor thing. That's right. But, uh, what's next?
0: Let's talk about some articles, man. Yes. I hear you got one on aerospace material.
1: Oh yeah. So last episode, two weeks ago, we were talking about, uh, mil spec additive materials. Right, Right. And how I forget the company's name already. I feel bad. I can, I can look it up easily, but, um, um, this company got awarded by the U.S. government a NSN right. for their additive materials, which is a big deal. It's mil spec additive. Um, well, Mark Forged, a company that we know well, is and, and they're known for printing carbon fiber, you mm-hmm. know, additive composite and polymer right. printing. They've submitted two of their additive materials, uh, for. Or to NCAMP, the National Center for Advanced Materials Performance, uh, which is one of the governing bodies or one of the authorized bodies that approves uh, materials. It's one of the regulatory bodies for the Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, and should either of these materials, whether it's one or both of them, uh, be qualify with the NCAMP? The federal, the FAA Mm -hmm. will officially declare one or both of these materials as uh, aerospace grade additive composites, additive uh, polymer carbon composite. Like that's exciting. It's it's a big deal. That's another big. It's it's really cool that you know, as I said last episode, it's it's huge that additive materials, specifically materials, are get sort uh such a a recognition. Because that's the toughest thing right, right. now. We need standard. Right. We need standards and not just standards with the technology, but standards with the material. And if you have standards and you can comply with those standards of the material, then that means you can make a good amount of that material. Right. And the materials are the hard thing to come by right now.
0: And I think aerospace is a really good market because uh, for for that uh, process and that material, uh, a couple of fronts. One is, you know, you can harness value from lighter and yeah. increasing performance right the airlines will directly get increased profits on that type of uh adoption and it,
1: not just increased profits but cost cutting on repairs
0: correct sure because yeah, yeah. additive
1: we can't forget additive is awesome at repairing things yeah and it's interesting the uh no not want to repairing carbon fiber must be pretty tough so okay. if you can do it with a with additive sure it's gonna help a lot
0: oh yeah yeah i see what you mean yeah and they, they experimented with um doing that on metal components too mm-hmm. um i've seen a couple of use cases on uh the military has like launch rails for missiles and things like that, that yeah. of crack and they've been doing um weld repairs basically and they're switching to additive or hybrid process because you got a machine afterwards right. makes a lot of sense um but also you know um one minor thing i've noticed from uh, my experience in aerospace is the repair market for aerospace is kind of interesting uh, particularly pricing so like making sure the thing is fixed per you know the functionality that's robust but In terms of, like, the pricing market, it's really interesting because it depends on who owns the IP to actually make that product or be able to repair it. Sometimes you have to go back to the OEM, and since they're single source, they can charge much more than the original price of the product. What jerks. So if you're repairing, like, a single tie rod, you know, and that got dinged, you know, you could cut that out of a tube and well repair that. But we've charged two to three times what the original cost of the making the original ones, because one, they could be selling that at like really low margins to the OEM and they're recouping the product, the uh, um, margins back on repairs. But you know, the repair market is actually very, very uh, price competitive for Mm. um, uh, other people besides the. uh, Is that, is that
1: one of the reasons why when you fly internationally or you fly in literally any other country you'll most of the time be well as long as it's not a third world country you'll most of the time be on like a brand new or really nice plane and if you fly uh internal Developed to the us yeah uh like like if you fly from one state to another <laughs> you're in some like 40 year old jetliner that's like falling <laughs> yeah. apart they're, they're cobbling it together They're keeping that it that stings man and <laughs> they're the making a profit off of that the oh, yeah, aerospace definitely. companies yeah shame on you yeah whatever you gotta make market, money, bro. Some. It's capitalism <laughs> make your money dude
0: all right i got one on also materials. so the army is investing on next generation materials research so this is a interesting article of their approach to look at the future and they're partnering with two universities to improve manufacturing capabilities and you know it's a pros and cons on this article i'm glad that army is investing in this and not mentioning not growing like wrenches and <laughs> <laughs> old tools. Sight adjustment Sight adjustment tools. tools i think this is a, a more strategic look at it and you know I am on the fence about it because they're so focused on the manufacturing capabilities. I'm more interested in on more interesting use cases. For example, you know, growing a growing a barrel where you could have a heat shroud built into it or mm-hmm. cooling vents and things like that where you get better performance, better longevity as opposed to focusing on the manufacturing process, which but to be fair, there's smarter yeah. people in the army than, than me. But they're partnering with the University of Kentucky and University of Tennessee um and the Swiss so like, um group within the army is the US Combat Capabilities Development Command. If you're part of DevCom, give me a call. We'll chat. Um but they're focusing on three uh, uh four primary areas. One is high temperature materials, which I'm definitely on board with. We could definitely use, you know, improved manufacturing capability of high temperature alloys and better performance um out of the, those alloys. Uh one I didn't particularly like was additive advanced additive manufacturing. I mean, Maybe they're looking at – so I've been reading up on a couple of uh, articles on uh, the military's use of additive in general. Mm -hmm. And they're very focused on, you know, pushing it as forward into the operating theater as possible, which makes a lot of sense, getting repairs close to the field. Uh, And, you know, the Army's looking at it – or the Department of Defense looking at it as a physical solution. But there's a whole big ecosystem of the digital rights that are not being solved right now. So there's, you know, two sides of that that are hopefully – you know, um the group will solve. One is getting the technology uh, in the field uh, as close as possible, but also how do you manage that data without losing that data? So, being able to gr- so if I need to grow a wrench, clearly the guy on the front end could could model it and then grow it locally. But realistically, they're going to pull from a warehouse of data, pull that data into the front lines, and then print it locally. You know, how do you secure that digital infrastructure? So, where where that data stored and how that's data is transmitted is not being stolen from a, you know, another nation state. So there's a fairly big cybersecurity risk on, um, you know, printing, uh, at point of service for a, a lot of these tech, um, for the, uh, for the information. So hopefully they did solve that as part of their problem, but we'll see. The other thing I'm really into the last one I'm really interested in is novel manufacturing process and predictive modeling and performance assessment. So being able to predict, you know, manufacturing processes, which, you know, as a We've come a very long way of being able to say, yeah, I can make this part within tolerance and this amount of time or realistically this amount of cost. Mm -hmm. But we've advanced so far in dimensional and dimensional accuracy for a manufacturing process, particularly subtractive. I think we're at a very fine line of being able to say with high confidence that this thing I designed, I'm going to have a high success rate or high yield. Yeah. So being able to predict our entire manufacturing process and seeing the performance from the parts being produced with there, um, that's um, something I'm very interested in. Is you know, and it's a parallel to like the digital thread and digital twin. Sure. Um, model and, too. I,
1: and I think that's also just a testament to how far and how quickly additive has come. Because mm-hmm. it seems, from listening to what you just said, it seems like the point to which. Additive technology and additive companies are going to be chasing the almighty micron is yep. right around the corner. Yeah, definitely. I agree It's that. wild.
0: You got one on consumer AGVs.
1: Oh, yeah. OK, <laughs> so I found an article. Well, I, I Tech Trends, uh, the app led me to a article that linked back to Tom's Hardware. Cool. And I was reading that and I'm like, OK, I don't know how I'm going to be able to throw this in the uh, tech report so i scrolled all the way to the bottom of the article to read the final paragraph as i usually do to cheat (laughs) when i need to skim an article and immediately below that i see an article that's like published four minutes ago and it's another tom's article and um of course I, i don't have the actual title of the uh oh it was something so tom's hardware is a website that does um uh, com- mostly computer and techie news for the individual consumer, right. for or prosumers, even if you, if you want to go there. Um, but it's consumer grade stuff, right. and they typically don't think about. They're not uh, reporting news to people with corporate budgets. They're reporting <laughs> to people who are really, you know, just just savants and have personal budgets. <laughs> sure. And so they're like, there's this. The, the article is something along the lines of uh, the title is um, new Raspberry Pi powered AGV is ridiculously expensive or something like that. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, man, we use a lot of Raspberry Pis on the test bed. Yep. Um, let me check this out. And AGVs are cool. It'd be cool to get an AGV for the test bed. Um, and, I mean, we got a cobot already. <laughs> and I'm looking at it and a company. um, some company that is actually pretty big and i hate that i'm not remembering it right now partnered with highway huey sure. who, who that chinese company <laughs> that made the phone with the crazy camera that got banned in the us yep. um they joined forces to make a raspberry pi powered agv that has a 360 degree well no it has a five megapixel vision system camera and a 360 degree lidar wow, system. Wow, that's cool. So, oh, and with uh, mechanum wheels. So, nice. like the little wheels that roll, like conventional wheels do, right. but also have those 45 degree angled rollers along the tread, so it can strafe too. Yep, yep. they're like 360 degree or 360 degree directional wheels. Cool. Um, without turning right, right. on an Like, an, never mind. <laughs> they're really fancy wheels that allow it to go in every direction and allow the vehicle to strafe. Um. All in a consumer grade AGV, like mm-hmm. we're saying, lidar, Raspberry Pi powered, so really easy to work on right. and modular because it's a Raspberry Pi. Um, I can't stress lidar enough. <laughs> a five megap- megapixel uh, camera for the vision system, yep. and oh, it's also modular that you can put the same company that makes that that makes this AGV also makes a 6 joint collaborative robot arm. Nice. You can for the price of that arm, you can also mount said arm on top of the AGV to make like a super industrial <laughs> robot. That you know, the when we were talking about Spot last, yeah. um how how you can you know work to Implement Spot into like a warehouse mm-hmm. scenario because where a wheeled AGV may fail in an older whale warehouse where that requires workers to go up and down stairs, Spot can do that. Right. This AGV w- wouldn't be able to do that. But also, Spot is seventy five thousand right. dollars and also yeah. an industrial robot. This AGV that Tom's Hardware is claiming is super expensive <laughs> and like unobtainium. It's $1,300 all in <laughs> all in. <laughs> it's $700 for the AGV, yeah. the wheeled AGV with the LIDAR system powered by a Raspberry Pi nice. and an extra $600. If you want to add the six joint collaborative robot on top of it, $1,300 is nothing for a company that is thinking about getting into automation yep. or, or AGVs even. And it's like, You know, maybe if only there was some product that we could buy that allowed us to experiment with this technology to try before we buy, because we don't want to go all in on a spot if we can't figure out how to use it. Right. You know, along comes this Raspberry (laughs) Pi powered robot that's $1,300. Maybe it's not really that much for a consumer, but that is nothing for a job shop that wants to experiment potentially with automation. Yeah, How that,
0: cool is that? That's really awesome. I mean, being able to, like you mentioned, uh, being able to bring in something like that for a test and having no risk, right? What's $1,300 risk and yeah. maybe say 20 hours with the time of someone to experiment over a couple of months that you'd learn so much and be able to
1: ask more informative questions
0: when you're ready to scale up. And it's that's really surprising.
1: Yeah, and, and like what we've been mentioning the past few episodes is the next step for automation Is taking one of these fancy cobot arms that, you know, some people are, you know, implementing AI or machine learning on them. Mm -hmm. But the real, the physical next step with these arms is putting them on an AGV, making them mobile, not just on a track, but on an AGV so they can go wherever they want. You know, putting like a robot arm on spot. And here comes this company (laughs) with a product you can buy today that costs nothing. Now, it's probably a toy. We're talking RC car like size so, yeah. because I think the arm only has like 12 inch reach sure. and 8.8 ounce uh, uh, carrying lifting capacity on the arm, right. which is not much, but that is enough to do some baseline testing and it, just proof of concept testing.
0: Right. And also, you know, based on the images, right. It, it is small scale. And, uh, you know, that is a, a, a fact, but whether it's not it's pro, uh con or negative is irrelevant to the test bed, right? Just learning how it operates and learning how it works in the field. But also, you know, looking at the pictures, it's robust. I mean, looking at it, it's fully packaged. It's not like yeah. the thing that when, when people mention Raspberry Pi devices. It's cobbled together like this wires oh, hanging yeah. it's out. It's an
1: exposed circuit board. Yeah,
0: this is completely well packaged with the wheels and the robot and everything. It 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 looks like a scaled down industrial package. Yeah, it's enclosed. It's enclosed. It might, looks
1: well. might not want it to uh, roll across, um, you know, an oil slick covered uh, <laughs> machine shop floor. I mean, you should test that. You should. It's worth part it's of the 1,300. It's yeah. nothing to test it. Do you want Mecham wheels? Is that what it's called? Mechanum. Mechanum. And you know what's really weird about that word, Mecham. So Mecham wheels are those wheels with the 45-degree angle rollers right. that allow the wheel to, like, strafe left and right, right and not just roll, like, a conventional wheel forward and back. Mm-hmm. Um, Mechanum is spelled with a capital M. Oh, interesting. So I don't know if it's somebody's name or what, but... Yeah, that that, but that is the word mechanism. I could be saying it wrong, but I'm telling you, it's written that way.
0: <laughs> uh, the next article I've got is also about automation. So, I, don't forget, Google isn't a parent company anymore. Alphabet is a parent mm-hmm. company that owns Google. Google's now a sub tier of Alphabet, uh, and I lose sight of that sometimes. I completely forget that you know, yeah. um, there's a bigger company. So, Alphabet uh, launches a. A company called intrinsic I, I think i'm pronouncing that correctly i think you are it's a new company to build software for industrial robots so i thought Ooh. that was really interesting that um, they got into it. so where the spun out so alphabet has a uh, moonshot program they take the fairly say immature ideas and see if it's worthwhile and they spin out a bunch of uh spinoff companies from there uh, so it's a fairly robust process to see if they want to test something and they've been experimenting with robotics in general, like hardware robotics. And that includes like arm, single arm ro- robots to, uh, AGVs, AMRs, um, any type of physical automation. Uh, and they bought a bunch of companies and I don't know if you remember, but they actually bought Boston dynamics before Hyundai bought them out. So they were owned by alphabet. I didn't I know that. Um, and I completely forgot about that cause that happened a bunch of years ago. And one of the reasons that they sold it and the article mentions that is hardware is hard, man. Trying to get a profit yeah. out of a hardware-based company yeah. is surprisingly difficult. I mean, considering their background is more uh, software. But, I mean, they do have physical assets that they do sell right. to the consumers, right? But well,
1: and, and, you know, as what I mentioned kind of with the last article was yep. you still got to figure out how to implement it. Yep, yep. And you got to be able to take that dive. And if I guess they weren't able to implement it. As no. for Hyundai, no. South Korea, you know, <laughs> like the 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 masters of all that is robotics – um, next to Singapore, um, you know, they, they have a use case. Yeah. Yep. Or at least they can think of one. Yep. So, So, and
0: then they mentioned the article, you know, and we've had that conversation internally at the, the management level that, you know, for startups in the manufacturing space, our membership producing, uh, technologies, if you're producing hardware, it is really difficult to get that into, you know, sustained life, you know, getting out of uh, the startup world of funding and into, um, you know, self-sustaining world. So, you know, they're, if Google has trouble with do it, doing it, it, a lot of people are going to have trouble doing it. So, uh, and uh, so they've shifted to software for robotics. So what they're trying to do is um, using machine learning to teach robots to manipulate objects without direct supervision. Um, and they mentioned obviously, you know, that's one of Google's obviously core strengths is um, you know machine learning and applying um, those to different applications. Uh, so they've been experimenting with uh, different tasks, automating, making adjustments, so they're completing tasks on their own. Uh, they'll work on wide wide variety of uh, different applications. Um, and they've been testing automated perception, deep learning, reinforcement learning, motion planning, simulation, and force control. So you know it's a pretty broad spectrum and you know on an intrinsic site on um, on the moonshot um, website. They show a couple of use cases, and they've been working with uh, a fairly international group of uh, researchers and developers to test out these scenarios. so i'm I'm curious to see what they'll produce in the future um the stuff some of the moonshot ideas that i'm keep an eye on haven't pro- progressed into like a buy now button just yet they're still okay. in like you know demonstration and isn't
1: uh, moonshot uh Ornel?
0: Oak Ridge national labs i mean mo- the moonshot idea is but oh, okay uh, idea, but but they have uh, i think it's called x moonshot or something like that that's gotcha. their alphabets program oh cool um so i'm, I'm curious at some point you know in the next couple of years to see what you know, an industrial company can actually buy from Intrinsic to see how they implement it. But, you know, having their skill set applied to robotics. And, you know, I think we've kind of talk, talked about this in the past is uh, in, in general manufacturing. So the ability to program in manufacturing, there's a f- significant language barrier. Yeah, The way humans communicate versus the way we want machines to communicate, there's a significant difference. So I think this is one of the ideas of bridging the gap of issuing say commands or ideas to robots to, that they can figure out on their own. So defining tool paths for a robot or mm-hmm. you know, a path for a robot may not be the best use of a human's time, but saying pick up this object and put it there. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Right. So uh, I'm curious to see what they'll come out with in the next couple of years.
1: It's wild. I don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. That, that's something I genuinely have no I have no prediction on that.
0: It's it's, it's you. Above yeah. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> above you, I'd think our next article is a little Next article's
1: <laughs> definitely above me, but I I know enough to know it's worth mentioning. <laughs> um so yesterday on GitHub, a new code piece of software, yes, framework <laughs> popped up uh for programming robots cool. or for at least testing and simulating okay. robot motion. Um the a uh, a A framework, an open source framework at that called RoboGym allows reinforcement learning, Mm -hmm. which is something under AI, uh, to be tested and implemented uh, into your uh, (laughs) robot programming. Cool. So – it's it's just wild. I, it was something worth mentioning, I think, because you know, MT Connect, our our little bread and butter, mm-hmm. is in fact open source as well. Yep. And open source is always a good thing. Yep. Doesn't necessarily mean it's free to implement. You won't be paying <laughs> whoever developed it. You won't be paying them any money, right. but you may be paying some other company to either make you parts to a to be able to implement such you know a technology mm-hmm. a, a software it's not technically software but uh, you know it, but or contribute towards it
0: i mean that i think that's yeah. one
1: of the and and yeah. right now it's only available on they do disclose on on github that it's only available for like one model of universal robots sure. and they're quickly uh patching it or mm-hmm. or expanding it to work with the other range of universal robots uh oh. arms um but they also said that's just because that's the company that we have right now to right, develop right, this. Right. It, it, it is will be no trouble to expand this to any other brand. So that's it's cool. not, it's not you know dependent on or it's not specifically for Universal Robots. It's yep. it's this stuff is potentially going to blow up really fast and it's going to be on other robots and allow you to, you know, upgrade if you would mm-hmm. your collaborative robot or even industrial robot to something. Third gen yep. or AI uh, driven uh, faster than we think.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. I'm, I'm definitely interested to see future adoption of that. And then also they're branching out to other companies, other models and other different type of robots.
1: I still have to Google reinforcement learning.
0: <laughs> Man, there are so many subsets of. Uh, so many uh, learnings. So many different learnings. <laughs> uh, the last article I want to talk about is, again, materials. A lot of yes. stuff on materials today. And this is super
1: nerdy. This is my favorite one. Oh yeah. Like, you know how I always mention, I can't wait till you introduce this, but okay. like, you know how I love talking about how, uh, Inconel, like one of everybody's favorite alloys in this industry. Right. was invented like 60 <laughs> years ago. It's all, o- it's older than dirt, man. Definitely. It's an old alloy, but it's hot now because we're finally able to work with it. We're able to print it. We've got the highest end, um, coated carbide tools that are able to machine it. What, mm-hmm. you know, we can finally manufacture parts out of Inconel, yep. even though it is an old material. It's an old alloy. It's by no means new or special. Well, it is very special because it's hard to work with, but not anymore. This is like that. You know, this this new material. Yes. I'm going to let you introduce it. Okay. But will allow for so many things that I've been like reading about in like car and driver. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that will be so cool. But
0: But go on. There's a lot of applications. So the title is new material breaks low thermal conductivity record. So let's back up a little bit. Thermal conductivity is how much heat transfers through a material, right? So if you've got low thermal conductivity, it's an insulator, insulator. Correct. High means it's a high transfer. You can convey temperatures quickly from the inside to the outside. So this this research was exploring uh, inorganic material. So, you know, nothing um, grown or you have to fabricate this in a lab has the lowest thermal conductivity ever reported uh, to be a boon for technology. So. They made a material that has the lowest ever for inorganic a, in a, in material. Yes, uh, and it's a solid state. So, in aerospace, the the best uh, thermal insulator we've actually used is called a uh, air gap. So, if we have a hot tube, we actually mm-hmm. wrap a um, a polymer on the outside, and the static air pressure inside acts as an insulator. Kind of like a heat
1: pipe, if you would, that because you know that has just air in it. Well, it kind a little bit of vapor. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. So, but this is the it takes the. Air itself, as a gas, has a really, really low th- thermal conductivity. Okay. So um, they've they've used gases like that to, um, you know, prevent or as an insulator, uh, but they have this new uh, material that uh, allows it to um, get down to 0.1 um, watts Kelvin per meter. So apologize for the note. So okay, so the thermal conductivity quotient co- coefficient uh, tells you how fast things are it can transmit. So they developed the thing at 0.1. So for reference, aluminum has a coefficient of 239. Yeah. Right. So but aluminum, that's used in heat sinks. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but aluminum is meant it's used as a heat sink. It's meant to transmit uh, yeah. heat. So, but Inconel a little more robust mm-hmm. as a conductivity of 15. Oh, wow. I yeah. didn't know
1: that Inconel was that low.
0: It's pretty low. And then you get into the gases and then it's more along the scale. So, you know, the idea How about of ceramic, did you have, do you have an, uh, I mean, at my computer I do. Okay. I have it right here. <laughs> Damn. But it's pretty low. But I'm I'm assuming I mean they have the lowest record, so it's got to be higher than that, right? So, you know, ceramics are ideal, right? They're they're a great insulator, right? You see them in aerospace a lot on turbines and other applications where it's super hot. Yeah. But you don't want to melt that material. You're in an operating condition higher than the melting point of the material. So right. there are ceramic coatings that protect that. But this is better than better than that. Um and it, and it's and it's very important because um In a lot of applications, you know, like consumer applications, let's talk about computers and phones and things like that. This device that heat up and you don't want that heat transmitted into Mm -hmm. your body or into other devices. You can control that. Right. So at the parallel, you know. But you also want it to ventilate. Yeah. So, okay, Yeah, that's fair. Um, But there are other scenarios in consumer application or industrial applications. Let's get back to aerospace. You know, I've got a jet engine. I want to operate at 2500 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. that's hotter than most material will melt at, or the strength will degrade so quickly at that temperature. You know, it's basically like uh, uh, Play-Doh at that point. But if I apply this coating or this material as a coating and has such a low thermal conductivity, I don't have a thick material to prevent this thing from melting. Now I could apply this directly on turbines. I can put this on fans. I can put these on other hot elements that I can maybe go, instead of using Inconel or, you know, some... Hassel or some super high strength, high temperature resistant. Maybe I can go to like a high strength stainless or things like that, where you can start doing, um, more economical materials as opposed to using the high, high super
1: alloys. The other cool thing about this is as a coating or even a shield, Mm -hmm. you can use it to, you'll be able to use it to, um, keep high heat in one thing. Right. And keep that heat from bleeding out into other things right, so like right. like in an engine yeah um in your exhaust uh, uh pipes you actually want your exhaust gases to be as hot as possible right because the 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 higher heat the more heat that's in those exhaust gases the further apart the molecules are spaced and the faster those molecules are moving mm-hmm. um and obviously the faster they're moving means the More quickly, uh, that gas is going to escape the engine and escape the, the vehicle, go out the tailpipe. You're going to get higher flow. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why you want to keep as much heat in the exhaust gases as possible. Um, you also want heat in your exhaust gases to keep your catalytic convert if you're running cats. <laughs> you want to keep your catalytic converters as hot Correct. as as hot as possible because the hotter the catalytic converter is, the more efficient and cleaner it is. Right. So there's that. Also, I mentioned car and driver at the beginning of this mm-hmm. before you introduced uh what we were talking about. Um, because when I was in undergrad, I remember geeking out about BMW was experimenting with let's get rid of the belt-driven alternator entirely. Yeah. I'm let's sure. convert the heat from exhaust gases into electricity. Oh, cool. Um, this 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 is not a new concept. Right. There are uh is it met is it a metamaterial or is it there there are materials that can take. Uh, high temperatures can take heat and convert it into electricity. And BMW wanted to wrap one of these around like a catalytic converter and be like, Oh, this is the, (laughs) this is not just a cat anymore. Now it's also the car's alternator. Right. The problem is they couldn't get enough heat out of the engine. Mm, Gotcha. Um, It was because the, the heat would simply, you get to a certain point of exhaust gas temperatures that not only are you melting like stuff like O2 sensors and air oxygen sensors, but, um, uh, the heat is too high for your heat shields to mm-hmm. keep it in right. um so it just it wasn't effective this may sure. reintroduce that, that 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 you know that that test those experiments by BMW right. were were mothballed they sure. were shelved and with this new material which is awesome they could be like oh it's time to start working on this again right, cuz right. now we've got a means to do this, but also, you know, I I mentioned you want your, another reason why you want this kind of coating is you want as much heat as possible in your exhaust gases, but you do not want that heat bleeding into the rest of your engine, because then you have your coolant temps going up, you have your oil temps going up, and then those are degrading because they can't do their job as well as they can because now the heat's going too high. Yeah. So this, something like this will allow the exhaust gases, if you coat your exhaust pipes, in this mm-hmm. it will allow the heat to stay in and not in just not just stay in but also increase right. because if it's good enough if it's good enough of an insulator it will help the temperatures get higher than they normally would be right. on their own and you're keeping all that heat out of other components that you don't want to get hot definitely
0: yeah and and that's underlying the takeaway on nerding out on this new material is that You know, thermal management is all about keeping things that you want hot, hot and keeping Mm -hmm. those you want cool, cool. And keeping them separated, right? Yeah,
1: because you get higher performance by keeping some things hotter and you get better durability by keeping other things colder. Definitely. Problem is all of those components are really close to each other. (laughs) So if you have something like this to separate them and it's really effective, then then people like us get all kinds of giddy.
0: Definitely. And I'm wondering, you know, applications of can I put this on a insert? Can I put this on a cutter? you know, can I put it on a yeah. header? <laughs> yeah. Can I do this myself? Can I, <laughs> you know, there, I think there's industrial applications, you know, this right. could be a consumable where,
1: and if you put the same, the same like metamaterial that I mentioned that that converts heat into electricity, you put that on a phone, right? And then you put that, this material mm-hmm. on the phone, not only will your phone feel as hot when you're working it really hard, but it will keep that heat in the phone, yep. which if you separate it, properly because you don't obviously you don't want some components of the phone getting hot mm-hmm. but you do want this metamaterial that converts heat into electricity you want that getting hot yep. you put this coating around that we could have phones that have a lot longer <laughs> battery life without even improving the battery yeah absolutely it's just thermal management
0: awesome man i'm glad we uh, geeked out about low con- low thermal conductivity materials it's been a while i yeah. did do some research on this it was
1: fun I I do want to see, I am I will be looking up after this, uh, the comparison of point 0.1 that this point material one. is, point one to what is the equivalent of uh, ceramic coating. Definitely. But 15, Inconel is at 15.
0: That's incredible. Yeah, that's not bad. Wild. Where can they find more info about us, Steve?
1: amtonline.org slash resources. You can subscribe to uh, the weekly tech report there, and you can also see what our other previous podcast episodes were awesome. Go watch the Olympics. Okay. Bye. Bye.